Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 8th, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 6th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,726. That's 15726. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,728. That's 15728. This morning, A Vision for You presents the most satisfactory years of your existence. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. We didn't even know it existed. We are taken from the dark, shadowy world of addiction to the light of recovery. We are changed in the way we think. We are changed in the way we feel. We are changed in the way we behave. We are able to do things we could never do before. We are able to live and get along with our fellow human beings. We are able to be useful and to live our lives with serenity and peace of mind instead of restlessness irritation, or discontentment. As a result of the 12 steps and our higher power, we have a way of deep and lasting personal transformation. As a result of the 12 steps, we have an effective relationship with power. The channel of grace in us is cleared. The sunlight of the spirit deep down inside us is allowed to shine up And through us, indeed, we are enjoying the most satisfactory years of our existence. Joining us today to share on this very topic is Nancy J., a recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. Nancy is dedicated to living our 12-step way of life, and with great appreciation, she's here with us today. Good morning and welcome, Nancy J. Thank you so much, Leah. It, it is really a privilege to be here. And uh, I want to start out this morning talking about the title of, of my talk, The Most Satisfactory Years of Your Existence. And uh, it comes from page 152 in the big book, in the chapter of Vision for You. And I want to read the uh the the paragraph that talks about the most satisfactory years of your existence. The uh, Bill is saying, Bill, the author of, of the big book is saying, people say, I know I must get along without, in our case, it would be binge foods or binge behaviors, but how can I uh, have you a sufficient substitute? So in other words, what if we give up our uh, our binge foods, our 
compulsive overeating behaviors. It could be bulimia, could be anorexia, could be anything that we are giving up as a result of being in this fellowship and in this program. What are you going to put in its place? It's such an interesting question because we feel like we're giving up a lot. Yes, we've suffered with our compulsive overeating, uh, our eating disorders, whatever it might be. We've suffered, but to let go of it, that it's somewhere, somewhere within us, we're asking the question, what will take its place? And the big book answers the question. And this is the answer. Yes, there is a substitute. And it is vastly more than that. In other words, it's more than just a substitute. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous, or in our case, Overeaters Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. And when I read this paragraph, I was stunned because I felt that there was a promise being made to me. I'm now age 75. I will be 76, May 24th of next year. And so I'm 75 years old. And I'm at a point in my life that my, I'm a lawyer and my legal career is, is winding down. I'm still a full-time lawyer, but it's winding down. And, and I'm a, a, becoming aware of my age. At some point, you become aware, gee, uh, this is my age. I wonder how many years I have left. And, and you start to really think about that. And you wonder where you are in the story of your, of your life. And to be told, look, yes, you're getting older, but the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead is such a reassuring and exciting thought that your life is not over. It's not becoming meaningless. It, you're not going to just have care, boredom, and worry. You're not just going to have the worry of, of your older years and of health issues and possibly your careers winding down, uh, maybe your children leaving home, uh, whatever your situation is, to know, to turn to this page in the big book, page 152, and read the words, the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead, to me gives just an enormous and exciting hope and, uh, and purpose to our lives. And then it asks on page 152, how is that to come about? Where am I to find these people, meaning the people of the fellowship? And the book tells us you are going to meet these new friends in your own community. Now, I find that interesting because the rest of this chapter, A Vision for You, talks about how people um, meet each other in their various communities and how uh, how Alcoholics Anonymous, in this case, grows and how life among uh, members of Alcoholics Anonymous changes and, and, and expands. But, you know, here we are in, in the year 2020, 
in the middle of the COVID pandemic and we have Zoom and we find that uh, one of the amazingly wonderful side effects of this pandemic is the way our fellowship worldwide has come together. It's just miraculous the way Overeaters Anonymous, you can almost feel people holding hands all over the world. Just like when you go to an OA retreat and people stand around at the end and they hold hands, a giant circle, and they say the serenity prayer together or Roseanne's promise or whatever prayer the, the, the leader of the retreat wants everybody to say, but we hold hands and we're together. And that's the way it feels in the middle of this pandemic, the way we are all together, the way we're all together right now in this, in this Vision for You special edition where this will extend all over the world. And, and how wonderful that is. What a fantastic community we have. And it's telling us on page 152 that this is going to be the basis of these wonderful, satisfactory years of your existence that lie ahead. We are going to be in a community, in a fellowship, and it is a spiritual fellowship. And that's the other beautiful thing about our program. We have the fellowship and we have the spiritual recovery, and we have purpose to our lives because this is an altruistic program. And I want to talk about that as I go along this morning in my talk. I want to talk about the extraordinarily beautiful aspect of our program, which is the altruism. To me, it is the altruism which just gives us such spiritual depth that we are, we're doing this, we're, we're putting our time and our efforts into a program that is not only helping ourselves, but, but the spiritual purpose of it is, is to help everybody we possibly can. And, and that's so inspiring to me. Now, I want to start out my talk by going over my childhood so you get a better idea of who I am and what I've been through to get to this point in my life. I was born in Brooklyn in New York in 1945, and I was born into a Jewish family and uh, a wonderful, wonderful family. And um, my mother... Uh, was a tall, thin, beautiful lady, uh, very loving. And my father, tall, thin, handsome attorney. And they lived in an apartment in Brooklyn and Flatbush. And my mother's parents lived in the same apartment building upstairs. I had an older brother. And uh, we had a very happy life. Uh, when I was five years old, my father and mother decided to move out to Freeport, which is on the Atlantic Ocean. And my father kept his law office in Brooklyn, so he picked Freeport because he could commute on the Long Island Railroad every day. It was an hour each, each way on the train. He would get on the train in Baldwin, and for those of you who know that area, and he would every day commute. And my mother was a housewife, and we had a very, very happy life. As far as I know, nobody overate. It was a, a thin family, a thin, average-looking people. Nobody had a weight issue. 
My mother was a wonderful cook. But uh, the one thing I do remember very clearly is the oral fixation that I had, uh, extreme nail biting and thumb sucking. So there was oral fixation, but no overeating at that stage of my life. Uh, when I got to be nine years old, my father came and took me to my aunt's house for the weekend. When I got home after that weekend, my father told me that my mother had died. And of course, it was a terrific shock. I knew she had a problem with her back and her neck. She wore a neck brace but uh, towards the end. But they hid from everybody that my mother had terminal cancer. And it might be that that was a period after World War II when people didn't talk about cancer the way they do openly today. And uh, of course, it was a shock. And I remembered thinking when my father told me that my mother died, and when he told me she died, my mother was already buried. They already had the funeral. The reason I went to my aunt's house was that was the weekend of the funeral. So it was totally hidden from me. And uh, I remembered thinking in my grief, it was on a Sunday, that, well, when I go to school tomorrow, everyone will feel sorry for me and I'll get a lot of attention, a lot of nurturing. And I went to school the next day and nobody said a word. The teacher didn't say a word. Children, I don't know if they even knew I had lost my mother, but life went on. My father hired a lady to come and stay uh, at our home during the week, and life went on. My father eventually remarried, and he about two years later, and my stepmother was mentally ill. It came out pretty soon after he married her. She started to get kind of paranoid delusions, and um, she was absolutely incapable of of being nurturing. So the the mother replacement that I thought I might be getting with the stepmother turned out to be totally not true. In fact, she disliked my brother and me intensely. And uh, then tragically, my stepmother got cancer in her foot and in her leg and had amputations. And she died my senior year of high school. So there was a lot of tragedy there. And uh, and yet there was no compulsive overeating for me. However, uh, the nail biting continued and the thumb sucking continued in my sleep at night. As I got to be a teenager, of course, you don't walk around sucking your thumb, but I'd wake up sometimes in the morning and my thumb would be wet and I'd be so surprised I could be 15 or 16 years old and my thumb is wet. It's embarrassing and it's startling but this was all subconscious in my sleep. And uh, then I went away to college. And um, one day my college roommate, a very sweet, gentle, lovely person said to me, you know, Nancy, I don't know if you know it, but you suck your thumb in your sleep. And I was embarrassed. She said, don't be embarrassed. She said, that's all right. And uh, so these are the things that continued I eventually, after college, met a wonderful man. I'm married to him today. We're married 52 years, and his name is Walter. And uh, 
we met, we married, and I taught school for a brief period, and uh, then I was pregnant. And I had three children, three years apart, uh, three wonderful children. Today, they're 50, 47, and 44. Today, I have seven grandchildren and a great-granddaughter. And so I've been very blessed with my family. But when, when I was at home having these children, uh, young children taking care of them, I fell into uh, a very unhealthy lifestyle. And uh, it's my compulsive overeating began. And, uh, you know, I look back in the big book and I look at the story, uh, I believe, let's see who that was. I've made a note here of who it was. Um, Let me take a look here. Uh, Going to take a look. It was uh, Jim. It was Jim on page 35 of the big book that he did no drinking until he was 35 years old. And it's pretty remarkable when you think about it because when you read the story of Jim in the big book, in the chapter more about alcoholism, uh, they say except for a nervous disposition, he had a very nice life, which I could say was true of me a nervous disposition, and I'm sure many scars and wounds from the difficult teenage years that I had, losing my mother and then having a mentally ill stepmother, uh, and missing the nurturing, missing the the love and support that my mother uh, was uh, very beautiful in the way that she gave tremendous love and support. My father was also a wonderful man, but on the very quiet side. So like Jim on page 35, good life, but a nervous disposition. And uh, all of a sudden he becomes a violent uh, alcoholic that needs to be locked up in asylums. And all the problems that they tell us in the big book here about Jim but a man who didn't start drinking until he was 35. Well, I didn't really start compulsively overeating until I was in my 20s. But once I began, it was terrible, just terrible. I would um, uh, try to be a good mother. I was, I think, a very loving mother. But some, there are many days with young children where I wouldn't get out of my bathrobe. I'd put on the TV and watch soap opera after soap opera. And I would leave the house to get groceries and come home and fill the house with my binge foods. And I found that I was just, it just happened that I was a tremendous volume eater. Now, today I'm a vegetarian, but back then I was not. I didn't become a vegetarian until January 1 of 1995. And so now we're talking about the 1970s. So back then I would buy like a package of hot dogs, could be uh, eight hot dogs in a package and get get eight hot dog rolls, bring it home, make it and eat them, all of them. I just had a huge capacity for for eating a lot. I could buy a whole sheet cake and uh, 
eat most of the sheet cake with the frosting or uh, a dozen bagels and just eat them all. Uh, I, I liked the feeling of being stuffed. Now, was I trying to soothe myself or nurture myself? Why I waited till then, why I didn't start that kind of eating when I was a teenager, I really have no answer. I just know my story, that this is what happened. A whole gallon of ice cream, uh, whatever that might be. And of course, I put weight on very quickly. I had the three pregnancies, and with each pregnancy got bigger. And I finally ended up doing what most of us do, which is going into one weight loss program after another. I became a Weight Watcher lecturer. I had three different classes that I lectured to. Uh, I loved I loved the Weight Watcher program, but I could not maintain. And everything I tried, I loved it. Optifast, loved it, lost the weight, couldn't maintain. Uh, health clubs, lost the weight, couldn't maintain. And on and so forth. Uh, um, my experience has been all these programs work. The problem is the compulsion to stuff myself, to binge, in my case, just binging huge amounts of food, I went back to it every time. Uh, I could not maintain the weight loss. And uh, so so that that's um, the way my compulsive overeating took off. And then what happened was we moved out from Chicago. At first, we lived in Rogers Park in Chicago. And then we moved to, and the reason we came out to the Midwest, my husband uh, grew up in Batavia, Illinois. So um, he came, we, we got married and moved out to the Midwest. For him, he was a Vietnam veteran uh, before we met. So he was going to finish up college at Roosevelt University and got a master's degree and became a school psychologist. And uh, so we were staying here in the Midwest and we, uh, we moved out to Batavia, which is the Western suburbs of Chicago. And, uh, uh, and we lived in a very nice house out in a wooded area. And uh, one of my children, uh, was in a preschool, and the mother of one of the other children in the preschool one day called me and asked me if I would go with her to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And I had never heard of it before. Um, at this point, I was in my young 30s. I was probably about 31, 32 years old. And she said to me, would I go with her to Overeaters Anonymous? And I said, all right. So she came and picked me up one evening, and we went to a little Catholic church in St. Charles, Illinois. And now being Jewish and a Jewish uh, agnostic, you could almost say an atheist, uh, I hadn't been in many churches in my life. And But I went into this little Catholic church with her. She was a religious Catholic. And uh, we went in. And keep in mind, I was at this meeting, I thought really to give her support, to help her, because she didn't want to go alone. And I was curious, so I went happily went along. We got into this meeting in the basement of the church, 
And I saw a bunch of people. They all looked very friendly. They welcomed us. And there was a speaker that night, a lady named Mary. And Mary had on a bright red suit. And she had butterflies pinned all over her jacket. She had butterfly earrings, butterfly rings. And uh, she was just a warm, lovely lady. She hugged both of us, kissed us, welcomed us. It was an extremely welcoming group of people, loving people. Mary told her recovery story and how in OA, uh, you can pick any higher power you want. It could even be the love of the group. It could be a tree. Uh, It could be a tree outside in the yard. It could be the spirit of the universe. It can be anything you want it to be. And she, she told everything in such a beautiful, loving way. And there was so much love and happiness in that group. Uh, well, the meeting was over. We got back into the car of the person who uh, I came with. And as she drove away from the church, she said to me, well, she said, that meeting was ridiculous. And I didn't say much. And then she said to me, we're driving back to my house. She's going to drop me off. She said, well, what did you think, Nancy? And I said to her, almost a little embarrassed, I said to her, I really liked it. I I liked the people. I liked how, how welcoming they were. She said, well, would you actually go back to that meeting? I said, yeah, I think I would. And I could tell she was just stunned that, that here I am, the Jewish agnostic, and I'm very attracted to this group. And she is religious Catholic, and to her, this was a tremendous turnoff, this whole group. And then she dropped me off at my home, and I stood in the gravel driveway of our house. As I say, we're out kind of in, in, in kind of a country area. And I'm standing in the gravel driveway she drove away and I looked up at the sky and uh, there were a lot of stars out in the sky and I looked up there and I remembered thinking I wonder if there really could be something I wonder I wonder if there is something something to this world is could there be some kind of uh, power what could be up there And I want to just turn uh, your attention for a moment to page 46 in the big book, We Agnostics, that chapter. And here, uh, Bill is is writing for people who are wondering about uh, what kind of power could exist in this world. He asks, how could a supreme being, and this is towards the top of the page, page 46, how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but was fleeting and soon lost. So, that feeling of the starlit night when when that happened to me at my very first meeting 
uh, that has stayed with me, that the idea that the door was open a crack and uh, and um, uh, that I at least let myself think about that and uh, and I and and that it the big book tells us that all we need to make a beginning spiritually in in this program and what we have here in Overeaters Anonymous is a 12-step spiritual solution and to begin that process to begin the 12-step process all you need is just to even be able to ask yourself that question. Who then made all of this? That's enough. That's enough of a beginning. Just that you're willing to even ask the question. You don't have to have the answer ever. But just the fact that you're open to asking the question, that's all that's needed. Um, the welcome home feeling of Overeaters Anonymous, that there's a place for you, a safe, loving place for you. For me, who went through what I went through as a teenager, a person who I believe till this day is looking for love and nurturing, uh, a safe place, a welcome home place, Overeaters Anonymous has been just uh, uh, tremendous. And I've loved it since the very first meeting. Now, I was very active in Overeaters Anonymous for the next four, four years, and then I went to law school. And uh, in law school, I had much less contact with Overeaters Anonymous. I kept in contact with my sponsor. I don't want, that lady, Mary, who was the speaker at the first, my very first meeting, uh, she became my very first sponsor, and I loved her dearly. She came to my law school graduation. And uh, she's passed away now, but I was so lucky to have her in my life. Just a tremendous, spiritual, loving, encouraging person. I graduated from law school uh, the day after I turned 40 years old. And I was lucky to find a job uh, very near my home. Uh, and I've been with the same law firm all these years. So it's been 32 years now that I've been with the same law firm. Been very fortunate to, to have a, a very encouraging person um, who hired me and uh, has been a mentor to me all these years. So I've had, had many fortunate things along the way, but Overeaters Anonymous, unfortunately, I let it fall by the wayside and I became a workaholic attorney and worked very hard to achieve as a lawyer, but all my focus was on achieving as a lawyer and trying to be uh, a loving wife and mother, and that was the extent of my existence. And uh, that out-of-balance way of living caught up with me, uh, and uh, and I want to mention that I did become a vegetarian in 1995, but that has really nothing to do with my story as a compulsive overeater because I got up to 272 pounds being a vegetarian, eating all the wrong foods. And today I'm, I'm maintaining a weight loss of 105 pounds and I've maintained that weight loss. Now it'll be 
it'll be six years in April of 2015, which is a miracle for me, someone who's never maintained uh, a weight loss. And, uh, but, but being a vegetarian for me had really nothing to do with the compulsive overeating. Uh, and uh, so I just want to uh, throw that in. Uh, there's not, there, you, certainly can, you certainly can be abstinent and maintain as a vegetarian, and you certainly can get your weight wildly and your compulsive behaviors with food wildly out of whack. Uh, now, what happened to me, what brought me to um, coming back to Overeaters Anonymous in a serious way um, in April of 2015 was severe dysfunction, um, horrible self-care, and terrible medical issues. And I want to go over some of this uh, just to give you an idea of, of where I was at the... Uh, at the time uh, I came back to, uh, to, to OA in April of 2015. Um, I had no clothes. Here I was, a, a lawyer working with uh, people who owned businesses. I was an employment lawyer working with business owners. And I had to look uh, presentable but I could not stay in any size clothes. Every time I'd buy a black suit, two weeks later, that suit was too tight. I was putting weight on at an, at an enormous rate. I had a big closet filled with black suits and none of them fit me. It got so out of control that I had to, I had to safety pin notes on, um, on clothing to just remember what size they were. And I had a big closet filled with clothes and none of them fit me. Um, I had high blood pressure. And I would go to work and the blood would come out of my nose and bright red blood drops would fall on the contracts I was working on on my desk. Uh, it was horrifying. I remember one day I had a big roll of paper towels on my desk to catch the blood so it wouldn't fall on the papers on my desk. Um, I couldn't stop eating huge quantities of food, uh, gallons of ice cream, pizzas, um, several spaghetti dinners, um, uh, big bags of pistachio nuts, just food hidden all over my bedroom. And I would come home from work at night, put on an old pair of pajamas and just eat and stuff the food in my drawers and just eat and watch TV and eat and watch TV and isolate. So I finally, what, what ended up happening was I called somebody that I knew from Overeaters Anonymous from over 30 years before, and they agreed to go with me to my first OA meeting in over 30 years. And that night I got a sponsor, and I went through the 12 steps with that sponsor. And I was really seriously ready to commit myself to the program. And uh, what I did after I returned to OA was I made the decision, it, and I can think that this came from my higher power, that's the way I think about it today, that I was going to put myself in my own rehab program. 
for this to work because the force of my compulsive eating was so enormously strong that I knew I needed something very serious to give me a chance of succeeding. So I made up my own rehab program and this thought came to me the very first night that I returned to OA. And I, I highly recommend this to anyone listening who's discouraged is try this. You really have nothing to lose. I made my own rehab program. What do I mean by that? I thought, well, if I was actually in an official rehab, what would they do to me if I actually went away for a month to some place that called themselves um, a rehab program for compulsive overeating? Well, they would have me go to at least one meeting a day. I'm sure of that. They would have me work the 12 steps with a sponsor. And they would uh, have me listen to all the wonderful podcasts that are available online and be constantly putting recovery thoughts up in my head. So I went ahead and I did that. Not only did I have a sponsor and go through the 12 steps, and at that point, the way that sponsor did it, it took me about, oh, three months to get through the 12 steps. Uh, and um, I went to a meeting every night. So I was going to every day I worked at an office full-time all day. And then instead of leaving the office six or seven or eight o'clock at night, the way I did when I was a workaholic, uh, attorney, I would leave the office at four o'clock in the afternoon, get in my car, and drive to a meeting somewhere in the western suburbs of Chicago. Some of these meetings took me an hour or an hour and a half to get to in bad traffic, but I considered this to be uh, my highest priority. Again, I'm in my own rehab program. And uh, so I went to a meeting every day, even though I worked all day long. And then when I got home at night, and it could be 10 o'clock at night, I would walk in, my husband would greet me, and I would ask him, I'd say, Walter, do you mind that I'm going to these meetings every night? And he'd see how happy I looked, and he'd say to me, Nancy, do what helps you. He's a very supportive man. I've been very lucky to be married to that kind of a person. And he'd say, Nancy, do, do what helps you. And when people ask Walter, what is it like being married to a lady that's, that's losing and gaining 100 pounds again and again? And uh, Walter's little joke is, well, being married to Nancy is like being married to 10 different women because he's seen me all different sizes and shapes. And, and you know, I do look very different now that I've lost 105 pounds um, because I have a thin face naturally, but when I was almost 300 pounds, my face was so bloated, you hardly could tell it was me. And uh, so there's, there's been a huge change in my appearance. But anyway, uh, being in my own rehab program, putting, putting this kind of, of, of effort in, I think is absolutely necessary. This is too powerful a compulsion to just go to a few meetings a week uh, and think that you're going to recover. In my experience, that's not going to happen because it's just the compulsion is just too powerful. You have to throw everything at it. And I want to say that the podcasts were such a huge part of my recovery. Um, 
because I would lay in bed very hungry when I got home from these meetings, especially in the beginning. I found my compulsion to, to compulsively eat really didn't weaken until I was up at about steps eight and nine. So I went through many weeks of just being extremely hungry after I got home from these nightly meetings. I would lay in bed and I would Google Overeaters Anonymous speakers. And I found such remarkably wonderful speakers. And their stories filled me with hope. And it was, I believed as I laid there in bed and I listened to these podcasts, even half asleep, I think a lot of the wonderful recovery thoughts that came from these podcasts uh, hopefully went up into my brain as I was half asleep or asleep. And I did this every night and I listened to podcasts while I took baths. I listened to podcasts while I did laundry, uh, while I drove in my car to the meetings, home from the meetings. I cannot stress enough how wonderful all these podcasts are in helping you to get these very spiritual, hopeful thoughts up in your brain. And I continue to do that. Um, It's such an important part of my uh, program. And of course, Vision for You has a fantastic website. I discovered that after about a year in the program, I discovered Vision for You. And all the podcasts on Vision for You have been remarkably helpful. Now, what I want to talk about is um, uh, my transformation and what happened after I started recovering because my transformation is, uh, it's, it's hard to describe how much of a transformation there has been, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, If we were together, I'd show you my pictures. I look like a different human being. But let's start out with um, my husband and the whole subject of his love of boating. Now, he, for our whole 52 years of our marriage, he's loved boating. We started out with very tiny boats, and now today we have a nice-sized boat. He's a sailor. He loves sailing. And me, not so much. And in the years that I was into compulsively eating and isolating what, uh, he would go on weekends to his boat up in Wisconsin. And being the very kind, compassionate, supportive kind of person that my husband is, if I didn't want to go up to the boat and I said, well, Walter, I have work to do from the office, he would never press me on it. So there were many, many weekends over the years where I would be home watching TV and eating and he would be up at his boat. And uh, so he was kind of a bachelor up there and he never complained about being lonely. But once I started to recover and I got back my energy and I got back my self-confidence as far as how I looked, starting to just look more presentable instead of a big sloppy looking person, almost 300 pounds. Now I'm losing weight and my clothes look neater and starting to wear makeup and starting to wear a little jewelry and just my facial expression. I'm starting to look happier. I said to my husband, do you want me to come with you 
and spend the weekend up there with you. He was so thrilled. And I said, you know, Walter, if I knew how much you wanted me to be up there with you, I would have made more of an effort. And he just said to me, Nancy, he said, I I didn't want to pressure you if you said you had things to do. So he's a very unselfish man. But when I went up there, um, the the other women, uh, because there's a lot of social life up there, the other women said, oh, it's so great to see you. And uh, I was so accepted into the social life of this voting community. But I had deprived myself of this all these years because I was isolating with the food. Um, uh, My nails. I had always been a nail biter. Well, I started getting acrylic nails, which ended the whole nail biting uh, problem. And and I'll tell you a little story about um, the personality change that comes with this program. Uh, I I was sitting getting a pedicure in the nail salon. I I must have lost about 60 pounds at this point. And I was getting my uh, pedicure and in this nail salon everybody was talking Vietnamese and I was getting angry I thought don't they realize I'm the customer and they're all talking Vietnamese Uh, I was just getting furious inside that tremendous feeling of anger self-pity resentment selfishness dishonesty that why don't they think of me that here I'm the customer and they're just talking to each other in a language that I have no chance of understanding and I'm getting furious inside and I remember from the big book where it says we have ceased fighting any one or anything and and how we are t- transforming into people who uh who that anger that we've let go of the of the whole idea of of anger we've uh yes we might feel angry we might feel resentment but um uh but as it says here uh on page 66 towards the middle of the page if we were to live we had to be free of anger the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us they may be the dubious luxury of normal men but for alcoholics, or in our case, compulsive overeaters, these things are poison. So having been through the steps trying to lead this life, uh, I thought, I can't sit here and be furious at these people because they're talking Vietnamese. So I'm sitting there in the chair, high up above the, the, the lady who's working so patiently, on my feet giving me a pedicure and talking Vietnamese to her co-workers I said this prayer I said God please give me an intuitive thought tell me what to do in this situation I don't want to be angry and this is the thought that I got back Nancy ask her to teach you a word in Vietnamese ask her to tell you how to say thank you in Vietnamese so I said to her excuse me excuse me she know she's down there giving me the pedicure I said excuse me and she looked up and I said how do you say thank you in Vietnamese and she 
smiled at me and the other women around her doing other other people's pedicures they they were all so amazed at me asking this question she said calm earn you calm earn you that's how you say thank you in vietnamese so i repeated it calm earn you and they all laughed i guess i said it in a very weird way with my american accent but you know my whole anger towards them talking vietnamese completely vanished and uh and it became a a point of bonding for us i even put it in my iphone under the contact page for the salon commer and you so i'd remember if i ever went back uh and into that situation i'd have my one vietnamese word i'm not very good with languages so to me one word was was my uh, enough of a goal for me but that's just one example of the transformation of how this program has given me a different attitude i now go with my husband every time he goes to the boat on weekends i go with him we went to the british virgin islands with three couples in february and uh that was a miracle that i went with him and we went with three couples they all drink i don't drink alcohol they all uh have tons of junk food all over that boat for the week i didn't touch a thing i know what my food is and i know what their food is and their food is not my food and uh and i want to give you an example of how um i worked with my husband you know he and i are self isolating because he's 78 i'm 75 and so due to covid-19 we i work from home now as a lawyer and uh we are self isolating but we get on each other's nerves here and there and i mean after all we've been married 52 years and things pop up and i want to show you how uh how we use how i use the program uh he he fixed our lights up in and we now live in a condo and he fixed the lights so with Alexa and Siri uh we is that funny she's hearing me I'll go in the other room that's an example of what I'm talking about so he has the whole place fixed up with all of uh of and and I try to put the lights on and uh I have a terrible time and sometimes I get so frustrated because he's the guy with the technology that I get mad at him and I tell him I don't want this in our house and I get very angry and he'll he will look at me and say Nancy you know you're going to make an amend to me you know uh you know that this is is not uh, right the way you're talking to me and then I'll say I absolutely will never make an amend to you on this you're the wrong one I'm the right one and i get very angry and then about an hour later i'll come in and i'll say to him walter and he'll look up at me and go yes and i'll say i'm very sorry for the way i talked to you and he'll say uh he'll say i i knew you would say that so he's used to me when i do have those moments of getting angry or upset about things he knows i'm going to come back and make an amend to him and it's it's been wonderful to have the 10th step now i want to talk 
a little bit because I am almost up to the end of my time. And I want to just explain about how I do uh, the 10th step. And, uh, and I also want to talk a little bit uh, for as much time as I can get in about a few other things. And maybe when people ask me questions, uh, other subjects will come up. But I want to talk about the 10th step. It's on page 84 in the big book. And I use that simple paragraph on page 84 in the big book to do my 10th steps. And uh, the 10th steps are, are for when you're upset at some point during the day, throughout the day, you're upset. And, and you need a way to um, level off your emotions. It's a spiritual solution, a way to bring your higher power into the situation so that that you you can find peace. And uh, now, the, one of the challenges I find with the paragraph on page 84 is to remember the four things you're looking for. It's telling us to continually watch for these things. But how do you even remember, unless you have the big book with you or you write it on an index card, how are you going to remember resentment, fear, selfishness and dishonesty how are you going to remember that so what i have done is uh and this is something i've done my whole life as a student is i try to think of little memory tricks so i thought what kind of memory trick could i think of to remember r f s and d because that's what those are the four things that we're looking at and uh so I thought, okay, RFSD, what could I couldn't think of one word that could contain all four to be a little memory trick. So I looked at SD and I thought, okay, sod, that's a way to remember SD, the word sod, that came to mind. And I took a beautiful vacation to Ireland many years ago and I, I thought of I thought of a house with a sod roof. And so I thought sod roof, S and D is sod, and R and F is roof. So when I'm doing my 10th step, and I do them, uh, some days, several of them, okay, uh, I'm upset, and I want to go through these four elements. So I go sod, selfishness, how am I selfish? D of, the, of, of sod, how am I dishonest? Roof, how am I resentful? F, fear, how am I afraid? And then you, you watch for that. And when they crop up, I ask God at once to remove them. Discuss them with someone immediately. There are many different people I can call for that. And I make amends quickly if I've harmed anyone. And then, uh, and this is the part that uh, I think is so important and, and I've learned this from my beautiful mentor in this program, and I think he knows who that is. He's helped so many of us all over the world. He said to me, now, Nancy, don't keep thinking about what you have, uh, what you've just given away. You've given it away to your higher power who loves you. He's going to handle it for you. And... Uh, now you just think of 
turning your thoughts to someone you can help. And don't discuss this. This is handled. It's gone. Now you're turning your thoughts to someone you can help. And I want to just end by saying this. I want to say that that is the altruism of our program, turning our thoughts to someone we can help. This whole program is based on altruism, meaning that we are in a fellowship where we're, we're here to help others. And that is what I believe is the whole basis when we say um, the, the title of the talk, uh, the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. It is because the years that lie ahead for me, however many years I'm going to be given, they're going to be devoted to helping others, to, to helping others. That's our way of life. That's why the years ahead are going to be so extraordinarily satisfactory. And uh, the altruism of the 10th step is it speaks for itself. We're turning our thoughts to those we can help. Also, if you look back um, in the doctor's opinion, it talks about altruism. Page XXVI and XXVI, I'm going to just read that to you, uh, where um, it talks about uh, um, that this program is, is spiritual as well as uh, altruistic. Um, and uh, I want to, let me just get this here, XX, okay, let me just get right there. It says on XXVI, we work at the bottom of the page, we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane. And then Dr. Silkworth says on page XXVII, the bottom, the unselfishness of these men as we've come to know them. And then on page 20, uh, page 20, and there is a solution uh, it, at the top of the page. Our very lives as X problem, and I'm going to say compulsive overeaters, depends upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. Uh, there is so much in this book about altruism that we turn from a life of trying to get our binge foods, trying to get the effect of the food, we're turning from that life, which is a life of getting, to a recovered life of giving. And those thoughts are ever-present in our mind, in our heart. And uh, I want to say, people might ask me, Nancy, are you still an agnostic? Well, I don't worry about the label. I'm not sure what I believe intellectually, but all I know is I pray throughout the day. And the big book is a prayer book. And if you look at the first 164 pages, uh, Bill lays out for us uh, the words, the words that we should use in saying prayers. He doesn't leave it to chance. And uh, they're beautiful prayers. And uh, uh, for example, on page 87, one of the prayers, God, show me all through the day what my next step is to be. Give me whatever I need to take care of such problems. I ask for freedom from self-will. Now, do I really believe there's a God that's hearing me say that? I say it anyway. I just take the actions. I say the prayers. I live that way. I don't worry what label I assign to myself spiritually spiritually. 
I just know that this program has given me an amazing transformation and and a beautiful life that I'm living and that I'm looking forward to. And uh, uh, at that point, I'm going to stop and just uh, have Leah open it up for questions, and I hope I can answer the questions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nancy, so much for your beautiful, compelling, and inspiring presentation this morning. Another remarkable story of recovery this morning. Thank you so much. Nancy's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording. The share ID for this presentation is 15,739. That's 15739. And yes, we will transition now to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Nancy by pressing star 1 to unmute. And please give me your name, including the letter of your last name. Hi, I'm Karen Kay. I have a question. One moment, Karen. Gotcha. Cindy Kay. Cindy Cindy Carrie K. Carrie Christina K. J. Christina J. Kathy Clea K. Yes, Clea, got you. Thank you very much, Clea. Ann R. Ann R. Did you get Kathy M R? Kathy M R. Did you get Anyone else? Russ and B. Russ and B. Okay, that's a great group to start with. Karen Kay, your turn. Everyone else, please mute. Thank you. Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service, and what a stellar job, Nancy. Now, this Welter fellow, he sounds like a quite a special man to you. Could you share with us how he asked you to marry him? Mary, you? <laughs> sure, that was us, That's, Nancy. It's very lovely, Karen. Uh, um, I I met my husband in Manhattan at a singles bar. The first, it, it was the very first Fridays, and he had come back from Vietnam, and I met him, and uh, he asked me to, to marry him, and it's been 52 years, and and uh, he has seen me up and down the scales, and been very, very encouraging. I, I've said to him recently, I said, Walter, you've seen me in so many different weight loss situations. I said, what do you see that's different now? And he said to me, Nancy, what I see is you're all in. You're all in. And that's what he he has noticed is uh, uh, that um, I'm so deeply into this. And And in fact, Overeaters Anonymous is the highest priority in my life because I know without it, everything else is going to fall apart. As to how he proposed, uh, when he asked me to marry him, I remembered saying to him, uh, I don't think I'm going to be a very good wife. And he said to me, let me worry about that. And we, we still laugh about that because if, if, if he's having a, a difficult day with me, uh, he'll say, I'll say, Walter, remember you said, let me worry about that. And he, he'll laugh and say, I don't, he said, maybe I'll change my mind. But I've just been lucky to be married 
to such a fine human being and uh and I'm glad that now I have a way to apologize because we're human and I can get very irritable and uh as and he can too but we're able to enjoy life together and uh and I'm glad that I can enjoy these weekends on the boat with him because he deserves it he's been so supportive of me that it's nice to think now that that with due to my recovery i can i can really be fully there for him so thank you with that i pass thank you karen k cindy i believe cindy d hi i th- this is sandy b i think you're oh, there we to go me. let's yeah. go right ahead sandy thank you you're welcome. Thank you, Leah. This is Sandy B. in Virginia. Thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing. I took down so many notes. I have a couple questions. Both of them are about the 10th step, and I so appreciate you explaining how you do the 10th step because that's the way my sponsor has me doing it, and that's the way I try to explain to people I work with how to do it. But what I find is it's seems to be difficult for people to actually put in what they're feeling to make it fit the RFSD format, like resentment, fear, and sometimes they're not able to do that. And what they end up doing is saying, I feel whatever. And that's one of my questions. And the other one is... Well, let me understand. Sandy, wait, let me just... just well, Well, just let me just even understand it. Are you saying how do you remember those four things or, or how do you do those four things? It's how do how do, can you how do we explain to people that what they are feeling is either a resentment, fear, selfishness, or or you know because sometimes people they can feel something, be upset, know that they need to do a ten step, but they they yeah. have a problem putting it in one of those four categories. I I'm category. so glad I'm glad you yeah. asked that and and Thank and you. let me. Let me just handle that one, and then we'll go on yeah. to the to the second one. We'll, Sand, we'll Sandy, um, yes. Well, no. Well, you you can do the two, but let me just let me just uh, let me just say that I believe, and and I should I should have really said in my talk that everything I'm saying is just my personal opinion. It's not Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. It's my experience, my opinion, and so. What I'm saying right now is, again, just my opinion, and hopefully it'll help someone. But these four things, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, it's clear that Bill, anyway, who wrote the book, believed that that's the core of when we have an upset, um, that this, these are the things we need to look at. Now, I know for myself, I am not good at identifying these different thoughts i'm anger i can usually know when i'm angry i sometimes can know when i'm afraid but i'm not great at identifying my emotions and my feelings i think that is part of being uh, an addict that you're you want to eat rather than really feel the feelings and identify the feelings and so this is the mechanism step 10 how we we do that are we good at it? Probably not. Probably none of us are very good at it because this is part of who we are as addicts. And again, this is just my own opinion. So how do we get better at 
watching for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. How, how do we get better at that? Well, by practicing it, because it tells us in the book, we're never going to be perfect at anything. We're just practicing. And so I always have trouble with the dishonesty. And, and, and my mentor in this program is very firm about the fact that you do all four every time. Now, it doesn't tell us that here in the book. This is just an interpretation. You know, step 10, the way it's described in the book, there's a lot of room for interpretation. I follow the way my mentor has helped me to follow it. You've got to pick some way of doing it. So I like his way. And so I do identify all four every time. I, 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 I really stretch to do it. I'll think, well, am I really dishonest? For example, my husband, another thing between my husband and me, he hates the way I load the dishwasher. He goes crazy. He says, Nancy, engineers design this dishwasher for it to be things to be put in a certain way. And you're always doing it a way that no engineer would have said to do it. And he'll even tell me, don't even load the dishwasher. Just leave the dishes in the sink. I will load the dishwasher. He gets very upset. So, um, then I get defensive and I get angry back at him. I feel like, who are you to tell me not to load the dishwasher? So we've got, I've got this anger building up and I want to do a 10th step on it. Well, what's the dishonesty there? Well, it doesn't really jump out and hit you in the face, but the dishonesty could be something like um, that I think he thinks that I am stupid or I think he thinks that I am lazy or I'm sloppy. Or whatever thought I have, I'm trying to read his mind. That could be a form of dishonesty. Now, I believe that the more you try to do and the more you try to identify, Sandy, the selfishness, the dishonesty, the resentment, and the fear, the more you work at it, you'll get better at it. And I think the more you take other people's 10 steps, too, as you sponsor and and people start to call you as someone who is happy to take their 10 step, you get better listening to how they do it. They get better listening to how you do it. And, and, and certainly there's no perfectionism there, that should be there. Uh, but I think just the act of trying to do it, trying to see how we feel and seeing if we owe an amends to someone and then letting go of it asking God to remove it, letting go of it, and turning our thoughts elsewhere. You know, one good reason to turn your thoughts elsewhere is we're obsessive thinkers. So we don't want to spend, wear ourselves out going over the same thing again and again and again. We want to get rid of it so we can go on and lead this beautiful, spiritual, altruistic life. So, so that's my answer. I hope that did answer your question. It did. Thank you. Thank you and what Sam. was your other question? Well, the other question hit on, and you kind of touched on it, um, turning your thoughts to working with others. Do you require someone, or is it best when working with people, to give an idea of what they will do? Because what I, what I find and what I sometimes do is I'll think about, oh, maybe it'd be good, it'd be nice if I called so-and-so, but I don't do it. In other words, is, it, is that good enough? You, you understand what I'm saying? You're saying do you have to discuss the 10th step with someone? Well, that last part, when, when, when it says, turn your thoughts to helping others, is that enough just to, oh, think, oh, maybe I could call someone so-and-so, 
and that would help her as opposed you know, to calm. Yes, I, I get your question. And, you know, that's Thanks. another example of how the 10th step is open to interpretation. It's Got open. It. They, and nowhere do they tell us um, uh, what turning your thoughts really means, whether it has to lead into action, what kind of action, how quickly do you have to spring into action. It doesn't tell us that. So like so many parts of our spiritual program, we just keep trying our best, and over time we see what seems to work. Thank you, Sandy B., for the question. Terry K., Sir, one to unmute. Thank you. This is Terry Kay. Um, thank you so much for your service, Leah, and your beautiful share. I um, have so much in common with you. I'll have to call you offline. But um, I'm curious um, regarding your sponsorship experience, if you could shed light on that specifically regarding if you've had an experience where you've uh, had a sponsor relapse and how you um, try to continue to work with them, what you require of them. Okay. Um, I've I've sponsored many, many people over this five-year period. And um, some of them have gone through the steps and uh, uh, have gone on to sponsor others and had strong recoveries. Many of them have fallen along the wayside. So I've seen everything. And, and I just believe that you just keep trying your best because at the very least, it's giving me a chance to explain different things throughout these 164 pages of the big book and it brings me into those pages and as I'm reading them over with someone else their brain is hearing it and my brain is hearing it and I often say to people I sponsor I say you know there's two of us two two sick recovering compulsive overeaters are listening to this uh you and me I remind them all the time we're both in this together. We're in this together. And so I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Carrie Kay. Christina J., star one to unmute. Hi there, Nancy. Thank you so much Hi. for your beautiful, beautiful delivery of your story. It made me laugh and cry and uh, just a beautiful story. Um, My question kind of piggybacks on the last question, which is, um, what is your particular method of sponsoring? Do you read line by line? Do you go paragraph by paragraph, choosing certain paragraphs? Um, You know, just kind of how do you sponsor, uh, especially in the beginning when you're getting someone going? Thank you. Well, I try to learn as much as I can about them. It says that in working with others, that that's one of the first things we do is, is really try to learn what we can. And then when you get a sense of, of who they are and, and what they need, because each person is so different. Some people have a great deal of program already. They've maybe been through many relapses, but they know the big book and, and they have their food plan. And, they, 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 and then other people maybe have never developed a food plan or a, really don't know the big book. Some people are, are very poor readers. Some people are, and now with technology, there's such wonderful podcasts. Some people, you can tell them which podcast to listen to for the different steps. Some people don't even have a, have a phone. It, there's a huge difference from person to person. So I think the first thing is 
to get to know them really well and figure out uh, uh, who they are and uh, what their background is, what their capabilities are, and then, you know, try to intuitively, it tells us in these 164 pages, we're relying on our higher power to help us, giving us an intuitive thought. And so I I think each person has to be treated uh, differently and uh, what makes sense for them. And and, and you're going to do the best you can and know that if they do fall by the wayside, that at least you got a chance to, again, dive into these beautiful spiritual principles. Your brain gets to hear them again. And uh, so that's the way I approach it. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. I mean, excuse me. Thank, thank you, you Christina J. Thank you very much. Clea J., your turn. Star one to unmute Clea. Good morning. How are you? Thank God. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Leah and Nancy. Can you hear me? Oh, very well. Okay, good. First of all, I want to thank you for your leave. It's exactly what I needed to hear today. And one of the um, other um, person on, persons on the line asked the question about step 10. And one of the things, I've been in OA a long time ago, came back, you know, I'm I'm old, um, and I believe that God gives us wisdom. And so I came into the program not about the weight at all, which is why I came in the first place. So my story was similar to yours. But I'd like to know about, because one of the things as I'm getting older, I want to learn how to do not even learn how to do it quicker, but when you talked about like your story about with your with um, getting your pedicure, you know, I'm thinking sometimes I'm getting it, but it's it's almost like is there something that you do or have done or, you know, it's like you've learned some little different little things I think that have worked for you. But sometimes, you know, in the resentment, and I don't even realize I've been in the resentment. I've already, those people are gone. I'm still maybe buzzing on, on that, that feeling or that thought. <clears throat> Is there something that you could share that maybe that's helped you? I know you talked about practice, but something so that, that you know, how do I get better at getting into step 10 and not taking, you know, two hours or 30 minutes or, you know, do you understand my question? Yes, oh yes. And uh uh let me say that w- the big book tells us again and again, Clea, that working with others when all other activities fail, it taught on page 89 working with others starts out with this thought that um nothing will so much ensure immunity from Compulsive overeating as intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. It works when other activities fail. And uh, uh, this, again, is the altruism of the program. It's the, to me, it's the core of our spiritual uh, fellowship. It's as life will take on a new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish. This is an experience you must not miss. And, and uh, in Bill's story, Bill, uh, Bill tells us that um, for the high spots and the low spots of life, this, is, that this program is for both of them. And if you look on page, uh, if, if, for example, here on page uh, uh, 15, for the bottom of 14, the top of 15 in Bill's story, 
He says we have to enlarge, perfect and enlarge our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. There's the altruism. If you don't do that, you can't survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So it's telling us again in the middle of Bill's story, when all other measures fail, work with another alcoholic will save the day. Talks about being amazingly lifted up. It's, it's a design for living that works in rough going. The joy of living we really have even under pressure and difficulty. And so that's, that's the answer for us because we're, we're living life. We're all human beings living in this very difficult world. And, uh, uh, and it's telling us we have a design for living. It's going to help you with everything. As it tells us in the big book, this is a program of living that will solve all your problems. So that's quite a, quite a statement. So I hope that answered your question, Clea. Thank you, Clea J. Ann K. Ann, star one to unmute. Perhaps I didn't hear that correctly. Ann R. Yes, thank you. Ann R. is here, compulsive overeater, uh, newcomer. Thank you, everyone, for being on the line. My question has to do with family. I uh, I appreciate in your share that you spoke about the. Um, I'm trying to do this. Up. Cry. Oh. Um, the treatment, self-treatment, and I have put myself in self-treatment in a form of self-isolation. And my addictive behaviors with food have always wound around my relationships with family, particularly my adult children. So the self-isolation is I have pulled myself back, and I'm afraid because I don't know how to have relationships with family and maintain my abstinence, which I'm on day 21. So my question is, how does one learn how to do family and maintain abstinence in a way? Thank you. Okay. Um, relationships, which is families, really relationships, and I can say that having three adult children, seven grandchildren, one great-granddaughter, and been married 52 years, relationships are, of course, difficult. Uh, and we're people with feelings. This, this re- recovery program is designed to help us with all of that. But what we have to do is actually take the medicine, which is the 12 steps. We, have to, we will not get well until we take the medicine. It's like looking at a bottle of medicine, a prescription bottle, and reading that prescription again and again and again, reading the label on the bottle. You can read it a thousand times, but if you don't take the medicine, you're not going to get well. We can read the 164 pages again and again and again and go to meetings again and again and again, but you've got to take the medicine. The medicine is the 12 steps working with a recovered sponsor and then turning around sponsoring others and continuing to uh, perfect and enlarge your spiritual life. 
through work and self-sacrifice for others. That's really it. If you do that, the book promises, and I can say from my own experience, it is true that you're going to transform. You will get the psychic change. You will suddenly know how to live in a way that works for you and whatever your family and home setting might be. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ann R. Kathy M. R. Star one to unmute. Hi, I'm Kathy M. R. from Darien, Illinois. Can I be heard? Yes. Yes. Hi. Nancy, oh my goodness. Um, You were my first sponsor when I came into the program um, when I decided to finally get a sponsor in 2015. So it sounds like your recovery was pretty new at that point and your enthusiasm just It really got me fired up. Thank you. And what I wanted to ask, though, I know you taught me all about the 10 steps, and I know we've had many 10 steps together over the years. um, I'm in a position at my work right now where I am almost regularly feeling this paralyzing fear at work of not being able to do the things I'm being asked to do. People are leaving and we're inheriting um, new tasks that – not trained and I feel very incompetent and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about those feelings and how the program has helped you with your working life and um and it's all for me it's all goes back to um I'm I'm just not going to be able to do it I'm going to fail I'm going to fail it's here and I'll just leave it at that thank you thank you Nancy you're wonderful yes oh thank you and you know it, it it when your question made me think of um something that happened to me, I got a big fear about work about six months ago. And I called up someone who I have tremendous respect for in the program, a a mentor to me in this program. And he said to me, when he listened to what I was concerned about with work, he said, I want you to read the bottom of page 62, that paragraph, and the top of 63, that paragraph. I want you to read it every day for 30 days and see how you feel. And I went ahead and I did that. And uh, and for those of you who don't have the big book right in front of you, it's the paragraphs that say God is going to be our director. He is the principal. He is the father. We are his children. We have a new employer. He provides what we needed. And then this is the part that I think really speaks to what I was feeling and what I think you're feeling, Kathy. Um, Established on such a footing, we become less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began, and this is the part, he began, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. This is the power of our program. And, and so I suggest you have nothing to lose. Try reading those two paragraphs for 30 days and see if you begin to lose your fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Could you repeat the page, please? The bottom of 62, that's last paragraph, and the top of 63. And our final question for the morning comes from Russ Ann D. 
Rasan star one to unmute. Good morning, and thank you so much, Nancy. I really, really enjoyed hearing your story. Um, I think you've maybe touched on this with a couple previous questions, so I apologize if there's some repetition. But you talked about how your mentor said when you do a 10-step and say turn over a resentment, let go of it. And that sounds great. I know that I have struggled with both resentments and fears, as have people I've worked with, where the thoughts just keep coming up. And so I'm wondering, what um, is there a particular prayer, a particular thought that you do to just let go of what you've already turned over in a 10th step? Yes, you know, I think that all the prayers in these 164 pages turn us to asking God, God, use me. God, help me to help others. It gets us away from ourselves and, uh, and, and, and the altruism. What can we do for others? And uh, uh, just looking at the prayer on page 87, God, show me all through the day what my next step is to be. Give me whatever I need to take care of such problems. Give me freedom from self-will. And then on page 88, thy will be done. And, you know, we're, we're asking God uh, to, um, uh, to give us the, uh, the uh, power and, and, the, and the, uh, the intuition to, uh, to reach out and, and help other people. Uh, on 68, God, remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And so they're all like that. All the prayers are all geared to get us turning to help others. And, and all we can do, we can't do this program perfectly. Like it says again and again in, in these pages, we're not saints. Uh, but we're trying our best. We're, we're, we're trying. We're, 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 our, intentions, our intentions are to be altruistic, to be there to help others to not focus on, on ourselves. And all you can do is try and, and be abstinent, work with others, pray, do uh, the 10 steps throughout the day, do the nightly review. We haven't mentioned that yet, the nightly review uh, that we do every night, a uh, uh, simple little procedure. You ask yourself the questions, the top of page 86. So, um, uh, it, we keep the program very simple, and we just keep trying, knowing we're never going to do this thing perfectly. Thank you for the question, Russian D. And Nancy, thank you again for your beautiful presentation this morning. Thank you for giving so much of yourself to all of us today. Once again, the share ID for this morning's presentation, 15,739-15739. Time to close. This reading comes from page 164 in a chapter you'll notice is entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.